How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, I will say this. I, I do not want this to, to come off wrong, but I was more than happy to not talk to you last night. Me too. <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, good. we... This is uh we so I think we started locked on uh during summer league last year in July and you know we didn't go five days a week every week since then we we did have you know some some leaner times during the summer uh, especially during the dead period but we've podcasted a hundred and like eighty seven times in <laughs> I don't know we started in July so we're like nine months in so we basically have podcasted let's say 20, 21 times a month for, you know, nine months, let's say I'm, I know maybe I'm, I'm off a little bit, but, yeah. but something like that. So yeah. damn, we've talked a lot. We, we I've have. talked to you more than probably like mo- certainly most of my like best high school friends. Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, we, but we've had a lot of talk about to talk about, I think. And, uh, I think the last couple of days having, having a, a, an off day yesterday, I think was maybe a, a good thing. Our DNP rest. And um, I've, I've just gotten so used to like the start of my week is not Monday morning. Like the start of my week is Sunday night where we record a podcast and I have to start thinking about like, okay, how am I going to collect my thoughts about the bucks for this week? And then we like texted each other yesterday and then just said, well, you know, we could take the day off. And that's just not a text we could really send to each other for the last, like you said, like the last nine months. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I kind of feel a little bad about it, but I also don't because, well, we talk a lot. So uh, we took that day off and I I guess there's we've been talking to people a bunch on Twitter. I, I guess that's kind of part of the exciting thing about a team that people actually feel good about is like people actually want to keep talking about them. Um, my men- and, and we should and we should we should say a lot of people have said nice things to us on Twitter about you know the season, and it's only natural um, to when the season ends to kind of think back. You know, I, I we I think both tweeted out appreciation for everybody who's listened. I mean, we're I think we're at over seven hundred thousand downloads uh, since we started last July, which is I don't know I don't I don't know what I expected really, but um, but that feels pretty pretty great that you know we have. However, you know, four roughly about like four thousand people download our podcast every day that we throw our random thoughts on the internet. So that's that's awesome. We appreciate it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll get a few more with uh, with you know everybody getting excited. Hopefully, a little bit more about the Bucks. Um, but but yeah, it, it was interesting because uh, a few people said, you know, oh, I'm gonna miss you this summer, and it was like, hey, we're hey, we're we're gonna keep podcasting during the summer, <laughs> yeah, and we're not you know. Maybe only two to three times a week during uh, during the uh, the summer, but um, I don't know. I, See, we where, say that now, where, but where I, else? Where I, else are you going to get that much talking about the Milwaukee Bucks? I mean, come on, that's 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 a lot of 
talking about the monkeypox, whether you want to come back as much as you want, right? If it's too <laughs> yeah. much, then you can take a day off. But, um, but yeah, it's been fun hearing kind of people talk about some stuff and some definitely some, some interesting topics now that, now that we're through sort of the, you know, tunnel vision of, you know, the next game. Um, obviously it's a great chance to kind of step back and assess where the bucks are and where the bucks aren't and what comes next. We say two to three times, but then like draft workouts will start and I'll be going back to the cousin center. Oh, actually maybe I'll be going to the actual prep, like the new practice. I don't know when that change happens, but either way I'll be doing draft workouts and there'll be, there'll be weeks I feel like where it is heavy and we do end up kind of wanting to talk about them four or five times a day. So yeah, we're not going anywhere. Um, and like Frank said, we appreciate the kind words. So Frank, I think the best way to go today is just potpourri style. We'll we'll bounce around and we'll kind of touch on some stuff that I think we've both hit on on Twitter in the last couple days over the weekend. Um, and like I said, people actually want to talk Bucks still, which is exciting and strange and cool and fun. Um, one thing you noted, the Milwaukee Bucks are picking 17th this year. And you... Before we were recording, you said you thought that was kind of interesting because the Bucks won their their coin flip that got them the 17th pick this year. And last year they were in a three-way coin flip and they got last yeah, last in that three-way coin flip, I believe. And that was uh, the end of the world for some that the Bucks down the stretch had not lost enough. They had not given themselves a chance to move into the top 10 and they had lost a lot let's be let's be clear correct. they lost a lot of games to end the season but like they they had the gall to to beat the philadelphia 76ers <laughs> in overtime and and then there were a lot there was a lot of the angst that oh my god we cost ourselves buddy healed because you know the bucks couldn't find a way to lose seven straight because they had like a random win in philly or whatever <laughs> but but yeah so it was it was sort of peak Bucks angst, I feel like, a year ago around this time. And I, I thought it was funny because I actually don't think I have... I might have retweeted something about the coin flip when it happened, like at the right after the playoffs or right after the regular season ended. But I, I don't think I made a single comment about it on uh, on Twitter. And I don't. And nobody asked me about it. Nobody said a word to me about where the Bucks were picking. So... Uh, yeah, things have changed a lot in the year, right? you know. And, and again, it's yeah. not like the Bucks are picking 29th; they're picking 17th. Um, I mean, great history picking 17th. Rashad Bond obviously coming in that spot. Um, sorry, uh, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it is it is funny how you know having a team that is actually competing and trying to do something in the playoffs just completely refocuses your your angst into something a bit more productive, and uh, that's that's one more reason why actually having a competitive team is is a, a bit more fun than than rooting for a crappy team yeah and it's funny too because i think that day maybe i made a, a couple jokes about clutch and how clutch the bucks were in this totally random act of a coin flip or whatever it is and i think i retweeted like the minute and a half uh like i don't even know process Drawing, that, like, whatever, yeah. where it's like they pull out eight balls and Indiana Pacers, Indiana Pacers, Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks. And then they put them in there and then toss them around for a while and then you actually get a winner. But 
that was it. Like, it was just, like, making jokes. It wasn't the Bucks haven't won enough or lost enough or anything like that. And there, there was very little concern about it. And like you said, that is what happens when your team actually has a superstar and your team is in the playoffs. And uh, there's more important things to worry about than that. And I would totally agree. I'm, I'm very pleased that my mentions are asking about how do the Bucks become a better team? How do they take the next step? What should they expect for next year? What should fans be able to expect for next year? Like those questions are so much more fun to answer than why weren't the Bucks losing on purpose more? Did this person play too much? Uh, should they have sat out this person? Was this injury real? Could they have made it even worse? All sorts of questions that I'm so happy we don't have to answer anymore. So, so that is awesome. And okay, so that's touching on the draft a little bit. Again, I'm sure we'll have a bunch of draft coverage as everything goes forward. Um, I think next up on the list was it's a pipe dream that um, that Bill Simmons started. I don't even know two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I was so I don't even want to say upset by it, but so just did not want to entertain it that the day everyone told me like oh Simmons on his podcast said something about Chris Paul to the Bucks that I just refused to listen to that episode like I, I just didn't because I was like I, you know what even if it is just the slightest mention which I think it might have been I don't even want to hear it because it it's to me totally ridiculous obviously I am a big fan of the point god um, and think he's a great basketball player but the logistics of getting him to Milwaukee are just insanely. Uh, I don't. I don't it, it's insane. It is an insane process that would need to happen to get him to Milwaukee. And I think we both kind of talked about it on Twitter over the weekend, maybe a little bit today. And I'm not sure people totally grasp it. So I'm going to let you, my my wonderful cap expert, just kind of go in on this and let me know why it isn't and you can explain it much better than i ever could with much more detail yeah and we'll do kind of more you know cap gymnastics type stuff uh, moving forward but this it is kind of an issue because i think i think it does it, it's important we've talked about how the bucks do not have a lot of flexibility um especially over the next year uh, depending on what happens but you know i, I think i think in, a lot of it sort of starts with sort of the how confusing it can be for a lot of people you know if you i mean again I don't blame people because, uh, look, unless you sort of pour over the CBAFAQ.com <laughs> website, um, a lot of this stuff is is really arcane and, and kind of difficult to follow. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the Bucks are, right now, I mean, they, they project to be over the cap. And, the, you know, the big sort of swing move is if Greg Monroe opts in or opts out. And he's owed about $18 million on his player option. Um, that's assuming he um, he sticks around. But I don't know. I mean, we really, I mean, this, this could be its own whole own podcast, right? Like what should Greg Monroe do? And, um, it, it doesn't seem like anybody has really put a stake in the ground and said he's definitely opting out or he's definitely staying. I think for a while people assumed that he would opt out, but you know, the Bucks are now a team that made the playoffs. He was a big part of that. Again, I, I have, I've heard no one even speculate about what the Bucks want him to do. Um, and yeah. again, it, it could be opt in, it could be opt out and resign for, you know, two or three years for less money or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, I, but I think that the interesting thing is that, you know, any, any scenario where um, the bucks have any type of real cap space would, would have to assume that Greg Monroe leaves and that might not really be a very good thing because to be honest, you know, Greg Monroe leaving him leaving and, and that $18 million getting wiped off the books 
that doesn't mean that you suddenly have $18 million to spend because the Bucks again, are, would otherwise be over the cap. And so, you know, if you take Monroe off this roster, if you assume Spencer Hawes opts out of his $6 million final year of his contract, um, which I, I, I don't know. If you're Spencer Hawes, do you opt out of those, that $6 million? Do you, do you really think you're going to – I don't think he's going to get that as a free agent. I don't think know? so. Um, so, but it, let's assume for, for, you know, argument's sake that he does – um, Tony Snell has a $6 million cap hold as a restricted free agent. And again, one of the key things to remember here is if you want to keep Greg Monroe, um, as a, you know, resign him, go over the cap to resign him as a bird free agent, you have to keep a cap hold to do that. Right. And I think with Monroe, it'd be over 20 million. Um, Snell's is, is more modest. It's only six. Um, but these guys don't just like, you know, they're not just available to bring back and they don't, it's not like they just count for nothing until you get to that point. So yeah. if you want to open up a ton of cap space, Greg Monroe is gone. Tony Snell is gone, probably. Um, he's maybe a little bit easier to keep room for because his cap holds only $6 million. But if you assume that you do keep Snell and Monroe and Haas are gone, for instance, you're only looking at maybe like $10, 11000000 in cap space, <laughs> which is only a little bit higher than the mid-level exception, which has gone up a lot. It's over $8 million now. So um, the value of being under the cap, you know, operating, quote-unquote, under the cap, especially given the Bucks also have some... Um, some trade exceptions, which they would also have to renounce to maximize their cap space. Um, there's not necessarily a lot of value in, in getting an extra couple million dollars in cap space there. Um, and to, to open up Chris Paul level cap space. Okay, that's what I was just going to ask. How yeah, do we, how do we oh, get, and especially because Paul's, what, 35 million max? Like, yeah, he exactly. has enough service time. Right. So the, the max for guys who've been around, you know, the longest, um, 10 plus year vets those guys are 35 percent of the cap which projected right now is at 101 so basically 35 <laughs> and change and so you'd have to pay chris paul i mean first off there's the question of like how smart is it for any team to be paying chris paul given his age and obviously he's still a phenomenal player um 35 million dollars as a starting salary and, and paying him for you know four years or whatever so um so that that's that's kind of one question but um, but if you were to give him 35 million, well, you'd have to first clear an extra 25 million or so in cap space beyond what I just talked about with Monroe being gone, Haas being gone. Let's say you also would say Tony Snell is gone. That adds another, you know, six million dollars or so of cap space. Um, and then on top of that, you would need to get rid of two, let's say, two of Delavadova, Teladovich, and Henson. And a lot of people would say, oh yeah, sure, get rid of those guys. I don't, I don't care about those guys. Well you have to get somebody to take them and not send any salary back. And <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, is anybody, I mean, I, I don't know. Is, is there somebody who, who would take John Henson for free with their cap space? I mean, there's not as much cap space, big men. Everybody's willing to give away a big man. Um, I yeah. thought they would never trade. I thought they'd never be able to get rid of miles Plumley for basically nothing, but they did. So, you know, Hey, maybe I should underestimate John Hammond's ability to, uh, to erase his own mistakes. So, um, so anyway, Basically, yeah, you'd have to scrap, like, get rid of half the roster for nothing. And again, it's not to say that that wouldn't be a good trade for a superstar point guard. But, I mean, just the cap logistics of doing that are extremely, extremely difficult. And perhaps more importantly, on top of that, you actually have to convince Chris Paul or whoever, <laughs> whichever star player you're talking about, to actually come and be a Milwaukee Buck, which... Um, you know, let's be honest. Milwaukee's becoming more attractive, but I, I, I just probably don't not think there yet. No, exactly, exactly. And I think I was listening to Kevin Arnovitz and Zach Lowe. They had a podcast this week, and I don't know if you heard this one, but I thought Kevin Arnovitz. They were talking a lot about the Grizzlies, and I thought he had a great point. You know, like um, they were talking about the Clippers and Grizzlies, and 
you know, everybody always just wants to like solve their last big problem with a big free agent. And for most teams, even good teams, uh, even big market teams, that that's really hard. I mean, how many big market teams have sat around waiting to use their cap space on that superstar that never that never showed up, right? Yeah. Um, and for a team like the Bucks in particular, I mean, yeah, Giannis is great, whatever, blah blah blah. But you know, um, you you should be the thing you have to do is is more more likely than not, it's going to be you got to go find the guy that nobody expects to be the last piece not go find the guy that everybody expects to be the last piece, if that makes sense. And and that could be hitting a home run on a second round pick. It could be, you know, finding that guy who, you know, is the Danny Green released by two other teams that nobody thought, you know, would never thought he'd amount to anything. You know, a lot of these guys and, and the Bucks have maybe had some luck with this in the sense of, you know, obviously Malcolm Brogdon would be a guy that we could look at this year and who knows? Maybe us saying that, oh, they really need a point guard. Maybe Malcolm Brogdon continues to get better is trigger finger gets quicker and he you know continues it 40 percent of his threes who knows right like eh, stuff is, is, is possible and they probably need some of that to happen but um but i think that that's probably a key thing to remember especially when you don't have a lot of cap flexibility and it's when it's really hard to create cap flexibility um you have to look at kind of what you have and you know we we talked about it going back to last year i mean the thon maker pick we didn't talk about brogdon as much because he was a second round pick you can't expect as much but thon maker had to be good and we don't know how good he's going to be, and I think we've been really, you know, genuinely pleasantly surprised that he's been able to contribute as a rookie. Which certainly I don't think any of us, you know, were demanding or saying yeah. was a prerequisite no. to him being a good pick. But um, but they absolutely need a guy like that to to become very very good. And hopefully Thon is one of those guys. But they're probably going to need at least one more guy because you know you kind of look at this roster and say, yeah, they've got some nice pieces, but. Um, but man, it is really hard to be a great NBA team and it starts with a superstar, but you need a lot more than that too. Yeah. It, it's been written a million times. I know when Mitchell Maher over at brew hoop, uh, over the summer was writing about value, like value is very rarely found in free agents. Like it, you're winning a free agent decision of free agent signing if that guy plays up to his contract. Like, I think generally I just think that's a win in free agency. Like, as long as he plays up to his contract, whatever it may be, whether that's $10 million for more role-player-y type guys like Toledovich or Delvadova, or that's $35 million, like it would be with a Chris Paul Max. Like, they have to play up to the value of their contract, while the real value is found on guys that are on rookie deals and, and guys that have been signed cheaply that are reclamation projects or whatever it may be that on the margins is where you actually kill it and where you do find the ways to get your team to that next level. And and I think that that's a great point, that rarely is it you finding that extra piece of free agency and having that final quote-unquote piece that final piece work out for you and have it be a free agent signing of i don't know 20 percent of your cap or whatever it may be like ha- having it be a big free agent signing that that's just so rare um and I, I don't know it's a it's a tough thing to think about with this bucks team because you always do want to think like oh they are just one piece away if this just works out or whatever it may be and uh, no, most of the time it's going to be a couple things going right on the margins or one big thing going right on the margins. And like you said, Don might be that. Um, we've talked about it before. A, 
a Steph Curry glass ankles contract for Jabari Parker, maybe, and all of a sudden Jabari Parker becomes a superstar. Like that would be one way. Um, There are ways to, to find that value on the margin and you just have to kind of hunt it out and search it out and see um, if it's actually there. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting debate and, and an, an interesting topic that I'm sure we'll touch on more this off season. Um, let's see next potpourri topic. We, we talked a lot about, I, th- I mean, we talk a lot about Jason Kidd as is <laughs> our, our mentions are full uh, of Jason Kidd love and hate more often hate. Um, so we 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 have talked about Jason Kidd quite a bit. I, I will say that. But interestingly enough, on the jump, uh, I think it was on Friday, Brian Windhorst was on with Rachel Nichols, and they were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, it was obviously after their Game 6 loss, and if the Bucks are next or whatever it may be, and Rachel did uh, a monologue on how the Bucks are the next team in the East, and they are the next team in the NBA, and how Giannis is that next star, and, and said a lot of wonderfully kind things about the Bucks, and then uh, brought up Jason Kidd and said something to the... To the extent of, oh, and, and Kid's doing a nice job, and Kid was able to get them to the playoffs despite injuries, and was generally pretty kind to Jason Kidd, which may not be surprising, as Rachel had mentioned him as maybe a, a Dark Horse Coach of the Year guy earlier, and uh, then Zach Lowe came on the jump as well and did the same thing maybe a couple weeks later, and Windhorse kind of surprised her and said, well, he he has done some nice things, but... I, I, I'm trying to think of what his exact phraseology was, but I think I think he said I think the the interesting thing was Windhorse said that Jason Kidd has a chance to come back, which seemed like you know chance is not so much like the the, the default right like yeah. usually you think like status quo has inertia and the team making the playoffs yeah and you know Jason Kidd the perception's always obviously been that well he's he has this good relationship especially with Mark Lazary and. You know, therefore, he's he will not. You know, and I think we've talked about this too, right? That it felt like it always seemed more likely that if Jason Kidd left, it'd be more of his own volition than than him being run out of town. Um, and and it's not to say that that if he were to leave, it it wouldn't be at least somewhat um, based on maybe his feelings a little bit. But um, but it was interesting that Windhorst said he has a he has a chance to come back. Yes. Um, but it will be up for you know his his return will be up for discussion. I think he used the term up for discussion uh, a couple times, and he didn't really allude much to you know why necessarily um, like specifics of of what uh, of what may be sort of at the heart of that debate. Obviously, is you know we, we've talked about many times. There's there's a number of things that that typically get brought up with with kid, whether it's sort of personality and and sort of stubbornness, and you know a lot of that feeds into sort of the schematic questions and, and things like that but um but yeah it was it was interesting to hear him say that and i think as as that when that video made its rounds you know we kind of like we, you know this happened last week so i, I we've had a chance to talk about it, we hadn't talked about it yet and i think i, I sort of viewed it as interesting from the perspective of like is this news you know and and i don't know i mean we've been talking about jason kidd and his future milwaukee did you view that as you know, I mean, it's news in the sense that Brian Windhorst has been seemingly, you know, reasonably plugged in on various things over the, over the past couple of years related to the Bucks. Um, 
is is this something that that is is constitutes like a change from what we would expect or is this maybe just reaffirming some things that we've been i don't know kind of hearing for a while i think the tough part of this is the the vast up and downs that the bucks went through this year that the, the highs were so high and the lows were so low that when they do lose 12 of 14 and it does look like the team has essentially just tuned out kids stopped playing for them whatever you may want to call it yourself during that moment me hearing from brian windhorse that oh maybe the bucks aren't going to bring it back jason kidd yeah of of course not. They lost twelve of fourteen. They they generally don't seem to be playing for their head coach. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And then you see them have a have a march where they win fourteen of eighteen, and and things are going well. And they steal two games from the Raptors. I shouldn't even say steal. They outplayed the Raptors for three games in that series, and unfortunately, they didn't outplay them for the final three games of the series and end up losing, but I would say generally they probably looked better in that series at the points they looked good than I, than I thought they would, but then they looked as bad as they did uh, in that 12 of 14 losing streak for the games that they did lose to the Raptors. So, again, I guess it probably was appropriate that in that final game, they go down by 25 and then come roaring back with a 34 to 7 run and then end up ultimately losing it in crunch time. Like, that's probably just a perfect summation of their season. But I guess it's news that even after, even after that run, even after that solid playoff performance, even after getting through all of that, like that, I, I think that requires a certain amount of character, of um, just just belief in, in your coach, in the coaching staff, in your fellow teammates to come back from as dark of times as twelve of fourteen, uh, uh, twelve of fourteen losing uh, stretch. So uh, I think it, it is news, just because. To hear that after all of those positive things, and I guess that that was probably a, what a month, a month and a half of positive Bucks things, maybe almost two months with as as long as that playoff series went. So almost two months of positive-ish Bucks things that you could still hear. Oh, he has a chance of coming back next year. So I, I would say it it is news, even though um, to. to I think Bucks fans who have been desiring a kid removal uh, for a long time now, maybe to them it's not, but I think overall it was probably news. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's been interesting that it that the story has kind of remained consistent, which I think is probably speaks to you know it's not like kids' performance is being judged by just you know wins and losses, um, but it, it is, and and that's correct too, right? Like it it shouldn't just be you know, the, the result, right. You want to be basing it on process as well, especially for a coach, right. Looking at what they can control and what they can't control. I mean, you know, the bucks being really bad in the clutch early in the season and then becoming really good in the clutch late in the season. I mean, things like that, you know, are, are kind of, uh, you know, how much kid, how much does credit does Jason kid deserve for that? How much blame does he deserve for it early in the season? Um, you know, some of these things are probably a bit more up in the air, but you know, things like, rotations and you know obviously the scheme stuff and and just sort of general philosophy you know like the bucks don't really look like a normal team in the year 2017 in terms of you know they don't still won't shoot many threes 
Uh, and some of that certainly is personnel-based, but I don't think they're a team that really is conditioned to look for threes either. And, and this is something I'm sure we'll talk about a lot during the, during the summer as we talk about guys that the Bucks might want to look at and, and needs the Bucks have on their rotation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of like the 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 question i think a big question with kid is you know what it's just hard to know kind of what to expect from him game to game and um and obviously that that could also be something that you know is a factor for players and potentially for ownership too you know so um so there's a whole many dynamics and obviously with kid his personality um he's obviously turned off a lot of people over the years um but but it's kind of hard to he's such a difficult guy to read right because he he doesn't really tip his hand publicly much at all right he doesn't really say say very much as as you know Um, (laughs) he does not no and so it's it's kind of hard because you know who knows what's happening behind closed doors and who knows sort of what those those key relationships look like and um you know again it's 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 hard to know kind of what happens behind closed doors but as much as obviously the the team looked like it was getting up on him you know clearly something happened and and they were able to pull it together and you know, um, it, it, it puts obviously, it kind of lets you, I think it kind of becomes a, an eye of the beholder type thing, right? Like you can, whatever you think of Jason Kidd, you can, you can probably use this season to talk yourself into it, I think. I, think I would agree. Um, and that, that probably doesn't, uh, doesn't make things <laughs> any easier, but, um, but I think it will make for an interesting, uh, an interesting summer. And, and I don't know, I mean, you would think that, if there is a reckoning coming for Jason Kidd one way or the other, you would think that that would be something that the team would want to decide very quickly. And, um, you know, obviously there's, there's also sort of the, the, the broader questions around, you know, John Hammond and, and sort of the, the, I guess, unofficial, um, you know, uh, Justin Zanuck being waiting in the wings kind of thing that, you know, it seems like there is a, 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 a line of succession here. Um, in the front office and how does that play into the perceptions of Jason Kidd um, all that stuff is um, is is kind of plays you know interplays I think with with these things and and I think it'll certainly you know make it more difficult probably to read the tea leaves because you have to kind of I guess read multiple <laughs> multiple tea leaves at once because it's all sort of a, an interesting nexus of of influence and and um, things that that will drive into whatever whatever happens to Jason Kidd next so I don't know. Hopefully, if there is a, a move, it would happen sooner rather than later. Um, but again, um, who knows, right? I, I I kind of view it as the status quo is the status quo, and I will I will believe Jason Kidd is gone when you know we hear something more substantive than um, than sort of the murmurs. But we also haven't heard really any any sort of murmurs disputing that really you know which which i think is just as interesting i think the thing i find most interesting is what you had said about process results and i think even that this is an idea that a national nba writer and reporter like windhorst would say i mean that was the day after the game six loss that he said that that he would even say that 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 would even be out there would kind of suggest that there is some process oriented thinking going on and and I think if you're a fan of the bucks that that should ultimately be a good thing that you should be 
uh, proud of your ownership that they're thinking of things in that way that they are thinking about the process and how they got to where they were how they got to a spot where they needed to come back in i mean in the game and in the season how how did they get there so um i think that is is kind of kind of a good thing and should give the I think should give fans maybe a, a warm spot uh, in their heart, just that they know that maybe their organization is thinking that way. Um, and obviously the the quick retort to that is, well, if they actually are that way, he, he should have been fired eight months ago or something like that. Um, but still, um, just that that came out, I do think is news, and I do think it is relatively important and says something about the organization. So that's going to be it for us for today. I can tell you with certainty that we've already recorded the next part of this conversation that you're going to hear tomorrow. We started talking and, well, we we talked longer than we thought we would do. So that's that's nothing new, unusual. That is totally normal. So tomorrow, part two of our conversation, trying to get you ready for the off season, uh, a little bit of an off season primer, just trying to figure out exactly what we're going to talk about going forward um, and I hope that you'll join us for it but that'll be part two tomorrow and for Frank Mann this has been Eric Name this has been Lockdown Bucks and we will talk to you tomorrow a little bit more about the offseason